Amen, friends. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Would you pray with me one more time before we go to God's word? Father, your son, Jesus Christ, alone is solid ground for us to stand on. Your promises alone are worth staking our lives on. In a world full of uncertainty, in a world full of risk and danger, in a world full of quicksand, Lord, we need the solid rock of Christ. We need this morning, God, to be fed by your word. To have our souls nourished as we look at your word and behold Christ. Behold your son Jesus and the surety of your steadfast promises in him. God, would you help us by your spirit? Would you meet each and every person in here this morning? Listening to this message, would you meet us? with what is needful for our souls as good food from you. We pray, Lord, confident that you will be pleased to do this by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, imagine a world where you planted and always got back what you planted. Imagine a world where you put a seed into the ground and could be confident that it would grow into a beautiful plant that would bear fruit, that would bear abundance, that would not be destroyed by bugs and disease or the sun baking it or lack of rain to water it, but that would grow and flourish. That's what Eden was like. With Adam and Eve in Eden as gardeners, when they planted something, they were assured with certainty that it would grow. When they cultivated the ground, they didn't have to put in toil and strenuous effort that was uncertain for them whether they would bear the whether they would receive the crop. They put in effort and worked hard knowing with confidence that it would grow. But we know that Adam and Eve through their sin destroyed the good garden that they had been given and were cast out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, we know it was a very different story for them, wasn't it? Part of the curse that God gives Adam and Eve as a result of their sin in, in Genesis 3 is a curse that from, from the sweat of their face, they will eat the bread of the earth. They will toil and work and the ground will grow for them some fruit, but also thorns and thistles. And they will not be sure whether they really will have a crop coming forth from their labor. Some of their labor may feel like it is indeed in vain now. This is a problem under the sun for all of us. That life, all of the labor that we do, all of the work that we put our hand to, produces uncertain fruits. All of it contains some futility. Some element of the curse. All of it contains some risk for us. And because of that, I don't know about you, but I can end up 
paralyzed, worried about that risk, worried about that uncertainty, not knowing what to do because who knows what will prosper. The preacher this morning speaks to that, speaks to the way it is. He looks out on the world and says, this is what is reality under the sun, that we live in a world filled with uncertainty, filled with risk. And then he speaks about how to live in that world. He makes some observations like we've seen him do all along. And then he says, here's what wise living in that kind of world looks like. And so, friends, this morning we're going to hear from the preacher as he deals with the world as it is, full of uncertainty and full of risk. We're going to hear from him and he's going to have help for us in how to deal with that world. In light of that, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, which is our text for this morning. And then I'll talk about how we're going to approach it. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. The preacher says this. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You'll notice this morning that as we read through that, each of those verses was kind of a pair of sayings put together with parallelism or uh, with a way of comparing each part of the sentence, put together as Proverbs for us this morning. The preacher in the pattern of wisdom literature is speaking in Proverbs in this section of Ecclesiastes, short sayings that capture a general principle about how the world works. This morning, we're going to look through his Proverbs as we do We want to ask ourselves, what principles is he showing us that help us learn to live under the sun? See, he's not just giving observations about what life is like, right? He actually has imperatives in these Proverbs. Do this. Don't do that. That we want to see as well. We're going to take them verse by verse and think about what does each verse say about life under the sun that's filled with uncertainty and risk. Verse 1, the preacher starts out, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. That's probably one of the weirdest ones to us, right? We don't really, uh, we, we know that he must mean something else than literally throw a loaf of bread on the water, right? What the preacher means here, what he's referring to, he's using bread to describe grain, food, goods, products, that people in ancient Israel would ship across the sea. And when you ship something across the sea, often they would grow grain in one place and ship it to another place. And the ships would come back with the fortune that they got because of selling the grain. But it was a risky venture because shipping, even now, is dangerous. But back then it was so much more dangerous because the Mediterranean Sea was really chaotic. 
We read this morning about God moving over and sitting enthroned above the waters. That's because the sea was so chaotic, the people thought the sea was a god. And they worshipped the sea. And it was dangerous to send out goods on the sea. But the preacher is saying, do this, for you will find it after many days. What he's talking about is when you ship something out, it will eventually come back. But you might have to wait a long time for it. This is the kind of proverb that we might say today, something like fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors those who take risks, those who try something, even though it's risky. So the preacher's saying that first. Then he shifts to verse 2. And he says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If we think about it in terms of shipping, the preacher's talking about not just sending out all of your goods in one ship, right? What we might say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The preacher is talking about taking a risky venture for the sake of profit, but he's talking about it, doing it with wisdom, right? It would be foolish in the ancient world to put all of your grain onto one single ship and send that ship out. It might pay off big, but more than likely than not, you're going to lose everything. And so the preacher says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, which is not a specific number. He's not trying to say you need to send out seven ships. He's saying spread things out into multiple categories. Diversify might be another way that we would think about it today in the business world. Use wisdom by not putting all of your eggs in one basket. I know it might not seem like these are related to one another, but the way we interpret Proverbs is we go through and we ask what each proverb means, and then we say, what, is, what do those pieces fit together as a whole? So we'll get to the whole in just a minute. Verse 3, though, let's look at his next proverb. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. We might say, obviously, we know that when clouds are full of rain, eventually it's going to rain. And we know that if a tree falls, it's not going to move itself, right? The preacher is pointing out that in this world, what will be, will be. In this world, as it is, what will be, will be. What happens, will happen. There is certainty about things in this world. A tree falls, it's not going to get up and move itself. Verse 4, the preacher says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Here he's getting at what, how we respond to the kind of uncertainty that says, if I send my ship across the sea, it might sink. Some of us respond by staring at the seas and waiting until they're smooth as glass. And the preacher's saying, if you do that, you will never send your ship out. Right? If you're always watching the weather, and farmers use wisdom to watch the weather, don't they? If you're always watching the weather, though, waiting for the perfect day, it will never come. We might say today, there's no time like the present. Rather than being paralyzed by fear of failure, or thinking that somehow, if we just plan it exactly right, we can have the promise of perfect success, the preacher's saying, do something now. If you watch the wind, you will never sow because you're afraid the wind is going to blow your seeds away. And if you watch the clouds, you will never reap because you're afraid that it will rain and ruin your crop. 
Verse 5, the preacher says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so do you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The ESV tries to capture some of the language that's used in the Hebrew there in verse 5. And in the Hebrew, it's a really funny and humorous way of describing a pregnant woman. What the preacher is saying is we don't know how the Spirit of God comes in and gives life in the womb. That was true then. That's even still true now, right? We don't really understand how the Spirit of God gives life to a newborn baby or to a baby in the womb. We don't understand that. We can't see that. And just like we can't see that, there are things about the working of God. So you do not know the work of God, excuse me, who makes everything. We have to recognize, the preacher is saying, how much about this world we don't know. Even though we do know that if it's cloudy, the clouds are going to eventually rain. And we do know that if a tree falls, it's going to stay there. There's tons about the working of this world that we do not know. We might say, in the words, in modern words, we might say, only a fool knows everything. We have to recognize how little we know to live rightly in this world. Then in verse 6, the preacher says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What the preacher is saying there is that we must make the most of every opportunity. In the morning, sow your seed. At evening, withhold not your hand, go and harvest. Sow more seed in the evening. You don't know whether it's going to prosper in the morning or in the evening, or whether both will prosper. We might say, strike while the iron is hot. Make the most of every opportunity before you. What unites all of this random seeming wisdom, all of these pithy proverbs, what holds them all together? If you'll notice when we're going through, there's a repeated phrase all the way through, right? In verse 2 and in verse 5 and in verse 6. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Verse 5, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And in verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Notice what unites these is what we don't know. Our uncertainty, the uncertainty that we live with because we live under the sun. We don't know how long the delay is going to be when we send out our ship on the waters, when we take a risk on a bold venture. We don't know how long the delay is going to be before we receive our bread back. We don't know when and where disaster will strike, as he says in verse 2, right? We don't know... When it will rain, even though we see clouds full of rain and know that it will rain. We don't know when and we don't know where the tree falls down in the forest. We don't know the way of the wind or the clouds. We don't know what we do, if what we do will prosper or what part of what we do will prosper. We have to live with this kind of uncertainty. And so the first thing the preacher wants us to grapple with, the first principle that we can draw out of these Proverbs 
is that we must accept what is uncertain. We must accept what is uncertain. Because we live in this world under the sun with much uncertainty, we have to learn to accept what is uncertain. Because we have been given work to do. And if we don't accept what is uncertain, we will never do that work. Right? If you always watch the wind, if you always watch the clouds, you're never going to sow and you're never going to reap. We must learn to accept what is uncertain. The preacher, though, shows us that not everything is unknown. We do have things that we know. If we think about what he's shown us here, we know, for instance, when you cast your bread out on the waters, you will find it after many days. We know that there's going to be a delay between sowing and reaping, right? It's a foolish farmer that plants his seeds in the morning and then goes in the afternoon and says, why is there not a crop here? We know that there's a delay between sowing and reaping. We know that there's a delay between what we do and the results of what we do. We know, too, that in this life under the sun, both good and bad will come. Right? Verse 2 talks about disaster striking. We know that because we live in a broken world, disaster comes. And yet we also know in verse 6 that God has designed this world so that our work does still bear some fruit. Verse 6 talks about... We don't know what will prosper, but we do know that something will prosper. We know as well that we live in an ordered world where trees fall and they stay there. Where the clouds rain and water the earth. We know as well, most importantly in verse 4, that if we never sow, we will never reap. Right? If you don't act, nothing will happen. We know that for a fact. And so the the other thing, the other principle that we can draw from here that the preacher wants us to see is that while we must accept what is uncertain, we must learn to act then on what is certain. His point is that you need to act on the fact that if you don't sow, you will never reap. Therefore, sow, he says. In summary, we might say the preacher is telling us to be faithful with the opportunities we're given by taking wise risks, and by being at peace with what we can and cannot know. This has to do with our work, certainly. But I want to broaden out the picture for us, because you might be asking yourself, as I was when I'm preparing this, what does this have to do with our following Jesus? How does this affect how we follow Jesus in this world? Knowing that we have to accept what is uncertain, And we have to act on what is certain. How can we relate this to our walk with Christ? Wisdom principles are always broader than the mere context of the chapter itself. And so if we broaden our view out to the whole of scripture. And look from this preacher who's a wise sage speaking Proverbs. To the preacher of the New Testament Jesus Christ. Who's a wise sage. We can learn from his teaching how this affects how we walk with him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. Proverbs are short sayings that make a point. Parables are long stories that make a point. Jesus tells this parable 
this story with a point to teach his disciples and us about what the kingdom of God is like. In Matthew 25, verse 14 to verse 30, Jesus tells the story of several servants given talents or sums of money by their master and called to make a profit for him while he's away and give it to him when he returns. We're going to see how they go about the business that they've been given. And we're going to learn how what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 applies as well to us as we walk and follow Jesus. So as we read, think about these servants entrusted with these talents. Think about the faithful and the wicked servants and what makes the difference between the faithful and the wicked servants. Verse 14 of chapter 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more and saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, we see in this parable, in this story, that the master, when he gives these talents to his servants and expects them to do something with it. What do the faithful servants do? They take and they start trading with it. They do something with it, right? They act on what they know to be certain, which is that their master is returning and expects them to be faithful with what he's given them. They know for certain that their master will return and judge. They don't know whether what they try with the talents will succeed or not. We get to read the end of the story and know that they were successful in their trading. But they don't know that to begin with. They have to accept what is uncertain, that there is risk. But they know for certain that if they do not sow, they will not reap. 
And so they obediently and faithfully begin trading with these talents. And they make more. They are successful. God blesses them. Compare that to the wicked servant. What does the wicked servant do when he receives from his master talents to invest? He acts wickedly and he buries it in the ground. And he says that he did that because he knows his master is a hard man. But friends, he wasn't acting according to what he knew even to be certain. He knew his master was a hard man. And what's Jesus's, how, how does Jesus describe the master's response? He describes it in verse 26. The master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. In other words, if you knew for certain that I was a hard man and I was going to come and demand something from you, then you should have invested it in a safe bet. The wicked servant did not even act according to what was certain, and he certainly did not accept what was uncertain. He struggled to do that. Why was it different for him? Why was it so hard for the wicked servant to act this way? I think the key for us, and the key to helping us understand Ecclesiastes 11, is actually in Matthew 25, verses 24 to 25. Listen to his description. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying this. Listen to how he describes the master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. The wicked servant had a wrong view of the master. How do we know this is a wrong view? If you look at what the master does with those who are faithful, what does he do? He sets them over much. They've been faithful with little. He sets them over much. He calls them to enter into his joy, right? The master is good and generous, not harsh and stingy. The problem with this unfaithful servant is that he had a wrong view of the master. It's the view of his master that was the key to how he responded to the uncertainty that he faced. It was this view of the master that prevented him from accepting what is uncertain. And it's the view of his master that he was so certain of that caused him to act wrongly. Friends, it's that same view of the master that affects how we respond in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Look back at Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We don't understand the hidden work of God, our master. And yet what we do know is that God who makes everything, God as creator of everything, God as master of everything. As we've read all the way through Ecclesiastes, we've seen over and over again. That God is sovereign over time and chance and circumstances, right? He's the God who orders all time. We saw in Ecclesiastes 3. He's the God who makes straight and crooked in Ecclesiastes 7. He's the God over time and chance and all circumstances. The God over everything. And he has made a creation that teaches us what he's like. See, the only way to accept what is uncertain and to act on what is certain in a way that honors God, in a way that is wise... 
is to have a right view of the master who calls us to work. In creation, he shows us what he is like. Psalm 19 talks about this, right? The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 6? He says to look at the flowers of the field, to look at the birds of the air, and to consider God's care for them that pales in comparison to his care for us. And to not be anxious, right? Creation itself shows us that God is generous, that God is abundant, and that God cares for his creation. Not only that, friends, but we have the incarnation. John 1, 14 says that we have seen the glory of God the Father in Jesus Christ. In the flesh, incarnate. Jesus teaches us what his Father is like. 1 John says he manifests for us the love of the Father. Jesus, in his humble nature, throughout his life, teaches us how generous and how good God is. The cross teaches us authoritatively, ultimately, what our creator is like, right? Romans 8, if he's given us his son, how will he not also with him give us everything we need? We learn that we have a generous God, a generous master, a generous and good creator. And that enables us to do what the preacher is telling us to do. You see, if our view is that life under the sun is is chaotic, that life under under the sun is unpredictable and ruled by a cruel God who's capricious and doesn't care for us, then of course everything about life is going to be paralyzing for us, is going to cause us to sit and think and plan and never sow for fear of what might happen and try to figure out how we can beat that system that's stacked so hard against us. But if we view life rightly, in light of what God has shown us about himself, if we view life under the sun as broken, but being made new by our creator who loves us and is generous and kind and for us, then we learn to accept what is uncertain. Because we have better promises that are certain, we learn to accept all of the uncertainty and all of the risk in life. In light of what is certain. And we learn to act on what is certain. Which is that if we don't do anything. If we don't sow. We will never reap. We learn to act on what is certain. In what God has commanded and called us to do. And we learn to entrust those results to him. Because we know that he is trustworthy. I want to get specific on this. See Proverbs are broad. And they paint with a broad brush. And they teach us broad principles about how to live. But I want you to see how this applies to several different areas for us. The first example I want us to think about is generosity. This is a good example for us to think about. Because that's one of the possible meanings behind Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2. I think it's more likely talking about shipping. But it could also be talking about generosity. Because casting your bread on the waters was a metaphor for being generous back in the preacher's day. If we seek to be generous as we ought, there is much uncertainty and much risk involved. Just think for the example of when you see someone in need and you don't necessarily know what is the best way to help them. And what if, what if they're faking it? What if they take advantage of my generosity? Or what if I 
am generous for someone else and then don't have enough for myself. There's enough needs that I see just even in my own community that I could run out of food and clothing for my own family if I gave it all away, right? There's risks in being generous. There's uncertainty. And yet, we have to accept those risks and those uncertainty because we are certain that we are called to generosity. Right? Just after Matthew 25, verses 14 and 30, we read in verses 34 to 40, Jesus talking about separating the sheep and the goats. And he talks about to the sheep, the ones who were faithful, that they, they clothed him and they fed him. And they ask, how did we do that? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, when you did it to those who were hurting, when you were generous to others, you did this to me. We see in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, an example of tremendous generosity between the churches, caring for one another's needs. We see in Matthew 6, Jesus call us to not store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven by selling what we have and giving to the poor. We know for certain that we are called to be generous and we know for certain that generosity has reward. And so we have to learn that our master has told us to be generous and that he has told us that he will provide for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that the one who provides seed for the sower will provide for us to be generous and abound in good works. We can trust that. We can act on that certainty and be generous towards one another in spite of the risks, in spite of the dangers. Example number two is in the realm of relationships. When you make friendships with people, when you get to know someone, the more you know them, the more risk there often is. It's a risk because we live in the kingdom under the sun. We don't live in the new heavens and the new earth yet. It's a risk that someday you'll have to say goodbye. That's a very real reality in friendships and relationships. And it's painful and it hurts. And you might conclude that it's easier and better not to ever get close to anybody. Because then you never have to do that. Not only that, but when you're in relationship with someone, because we are fellow sinners... We sin against one another. And you risk getting hurt by others. But friends, what does scripture tell us? It tells us that we are part of a body. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. We can't say to one another, I have no need of you. We know all the way back from Genesis that it's not good for us to be alone. Because we were created in the image of God and God is not alone. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. We know also that Jesus, as part of his work, has brought reconciliation between enemies, uniting people into one new person. Jew and Gentile, you and your neighbor that you don't get along with, you and the friend who you struggle to love. Jesus has done this. This is certain. We know, too, from Titus 2, What we saw when we were going through that our holiness, our walk with God is meant to be a group project. Ephesians 4, Paul talks about that as well. That he gives pastors and elders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To build one another up into maturity in Christ. We must learn then, like the preacher tells us, to accept 
the uncertainty around relationships because we are certain of how God has designed us and what God has called us to be as the church. And the third example I want to give is in suffering. There's tremendous risk, tremendous uncertainty when you face suffering. Because you don't know how long it will be, right? That's why the psalmists cry out, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? We're certain and we know through Christ Jesus that the answer is no. But we can be paralyzed by that thought. How can I face tomorrow when today was so hard? We face the possibility in our suffering of losing everything. Because we know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that death will ultimately take everything from us. But we also know with certainty that God in Christ Jesus has overcome the curse. We know with certainty that God in Christ Jesus is making all things new. Revelation 21 talks about a time and a place with no crying and no death, no suffering. We know from other places in Scripture like James 1 and Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4 that in the midst of our suffering, God is working for our good. And that the good that He is accomplishing in us in the midst of suffering doesn't compare to the present suffering. And so we can still, in the midst of suffering, learn to be faithful. We can still, in the midst of suffering, do something. Taking advantage of every opportunity that God puts before us to sow faithfulness and to reap His kindness. What the preacher teaches us in this text, friends, is that following Jesus under the sun is full of uncertainty and risks because we live in a world that's broken. We live in the ruins of Eden. But, even though following Jesus is full of uncertainty and risk, trusting in Jesus is neither risky nor uncertain. Trusting in Jesus is always certain because God has shown us in Christ that Jesus is sure. Jesus is steadfast. Jesus is an anchor of hope for our souls. So friends, in light of that, I want to give us a final exhortation from Galatians 6. Paul writes this to his people. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us. We daily need you to place in front of us and call to mind the certainty that we have in Christ Jesus, who has shown us what you are like. And because of that certainty and that security and that safety that we have in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help us to accept the uncertainty in life under the sun, to accept the things that we don't know, to accept the limitations of our knowledge and not try to be God, Lord. But would you help us trust you as God? 
And would you help us then be faithful with what you put in front of us. To walk with faithfulness. To act. To be ready to do good as Paul says. We pray that you'd help us in Jesus name. Amen.